recognize him for who he is and we would respond accordingly. You know, worship is nothing more than a response. It is a life response appropriate to that which has been revealed to us. God has revealed himself as worthy. He's revealed himself to us as holy, as sovereign, as majestic, as powerful. Thank you so much, Jeremy and Wes and choir and orchestra. I I don't know about you, but I'm just so blessed by the worship ministry of our church. Amen. Now, I have to tell you on a less than spiritual matter, I was thinking as we were doing that, some of you back here can't necessarily hear the shop backs that are going on back there. And I'm thinking, is he worthy of us cleaning up all the water that spilt this morning because the overflow valve didn't stop the baptistry water? And my response, he is. <laughs> I pray that our water bill would be the most expensive bill in our church. Not because we've wasted water all over electrical stuff in the back, but that we would continually fill the baptistry. That we would continually see people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I do need to tell you that there are probably going to be uh, maybe some audio issues this morning. We know that some of what has happened back there has affected what's happened up there. I am not tethered to anything that I know of, and I don't plan on getting shocked. I have a very, my my mama's youngest son has a very healthy respect for electricity. I don't mess with the stuff, and so I'm going to stay pretty well behind my pulpit and hope that we can hear and you can hear me, but I do hope that the distractions would go away this morning. You know, sometimes we want things to be slick and produced, and we want them to all go a certain way, but God knows what he wanted today, and he knew that he wanted to speak to each of you that are here today. And I pray that would be the case. Let me ask you a very simple question. Have you ever been discouraged? I I found myself discouraged this morning as as Scott Alexander and Joe Gunter and others kind of scrambled and said, we've got a problem. We've got issues. I find myself discouraged at times. Have you ever been discouraged? To ask that question is almost like asking, are you human? Because discouragement is very, very clearly a part of our experience it's rare if ever non-existent in a person that has not been discouraged many people in the world and throughout history have faced discouragement so my question is this if you have gone through a discouraging season of your life why why do you become discouraged why do I become discouraged It can emerge from several places, and I want us to think about this even before we arrive at our text and begin to see perhaps a solution for discouragement. Think about this. It can come from a physical cause. You can find yourself very, very discouraged because you go through a season of being tired and maybe overworked and under-rested. You find yourself working too long and too hard without a break. And perhaps you've got a bodily illness, you face sickness of some sort, and because of that you find yourself not just depressed, not just uh, at some place disappointed, but actually discouraged. Sometimes discouragement comes from those places. Sometimes discouragement comes from perspective. It comes from a place of idealism. We begin to think in our own hearts and in our own minds that there is a an emphasis of everything wanting to go just so. I want to preach without the sound of a a tsunami behind me. That's idealistic. And it can become discouraging. It can become one of those things that gives us heartburn and heartache and lead us to depression. 
Sometimes it comes from our perspective. In fact, listen to this. Warren Wiersbe observes about pastors this idea of idealism. The pastor, if he is dedicated at all, is a man of ideals. He wants to achieve for the glory of God, yet no matter how hard he prays or works, it seems that the goals forever elude him. You know, we talked about that this week at a pastor's conference we went to, and i just kind of share with you a bit. We were there and, and, and meeting with other pastors, and some of them are on the throes of depression and struggling. And, and they said, you know, I feel like if I made widgets, I could go home at the end of the day, clock out and say, I made 11 widgets today, and I'm going to try better to make 12 tomorrow. But it's a, a constant, endless barrage. And I'm not trying to say that the role of pastor is any more difficult. It's the nature of the calling. Yesterday, I spent part of the day, we've got four members of our church that are on hospice. And I began to, to talk to them and just, just love on them and to encourage them. And then spent the afternoon at the hospital with a family friend who is literally at the throes of life and death. And I began to think about how the idealistic sense of where we are and, and how life is can be for us a place of great discouragement. We want things to go a certain way, and when they don't, we find ourselves discouraged. Anybody tracking along with me? I think we're there. Warren Wearsby, who said that, went on to tell about G. Campbell Morgan, who literally led a church to a phenomenal sense of revival. And on the 10th anniversary of the Westminster Chapel in London, where Morgan pastored, he said before his people that he considered himself an utter failure. He struggled with a place of depression. Literally, that church became the focal point of evangelical Bible study of the entire English-speaking world. Coupled with idealism can be disappointment. Sometimes we find ourselves discouraged because we've been disappointed by people. Anybody ever let you down? Anybody ever lied to you or disappointed you, stood you up, left you at a place of wanting? It happens in the life of a pastor. Someone starts out strong. They turn their life toward Christ, and then they fail spiritually or morally. People will disappoint you. We're counting on someone, and they let us down. I've watched this in ministry. When someone makes a good attempt in their start for Christ, and they ultimately find themselves failing. It's not new, and it's certainly not localized to ministry, but the Apostle Paul, I can hear the, the pain in his voice when he said these words in 2 Timothy. He said, Demas has left me, having loved this present world. He deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. You know, we can also become disappointed with God, and that can lead us to a place of discouragement. You ever prayed for something to happen, and, and prayed and trusted and worked, and God still in some way didn't come through the way you thought? You claimed a promise, and it did not happen. You prayed through that promise in the Bible, and you worked, but from your perspective, God didn't keep His word or His perspective. And you began to wonder whether you should even try to do anything else for the Lord again. You say, Pastor, that's incredibly depressing. Well, you're right. And that's why I wanted us to address this because I believe from the story of this man, Ezra, we continue to see the people of God moving toward a place of putting God at the center. And when they did, they overcame discouragement. That's one of those byproducts of putting God at the center. So how do you deal with your discouragement? That's a, a question for all of us. How do you deal with it in your own life? 
I've watched many a man go through a midlife crisis. He feels overworked and underappreciated. And to deal with his discouragement, he turns toward either the pursuit of money at a higher level or maybe an affair or likewise. People try to deal with spiritual discouragement in many different ways. They plunge themselves into things that would hopefully bring fulfillment, entertainment, or sports, or travel, or careers. Tragically, many turn to drugs, or alcohol, or adultery. And all of those things seem to dig them deeper into a place of discouragement. A few become so discouraged that they take their own lives. We've seen a a rash of that happen in the course of the last several years. People coming to a hopeless state. But what I want us to do today is to take God's Word, and we're going to look together in Ezra chapter 5. I want you to turn there. And as you turn there, I want you to see that God's people became discouraged because of attacks that came from the outside, but also from a sense of security and comfort that came from the world. I believe that many people are lulled to sleep spiritually by relative ease of their life. Things are okay, Pastor. I'm not really depressed. I'm not really even melancholy. I'm doing all right. I'm, I'm kind of happy. My football team won yesterday. Or now, now I'm causing discouragement for some of you. Maybe your team didn't win, but just look on the bright side. Maybe they got paid a lot of money to lose. Okay, that happens too. But, but maybe you look at your life and you say, my life is at a place of relative ease. And in the midst of that, I, I, the, the house is nice and the yard is mowed and the cars are running and there's money in the bank and the kids seem happy and we're all engaged in activities. And in all of the activities, we've lost sight of God at the center. That had happened to the people of God. I want to read for you a verse. We'll put it on the screen. It's from Ezra 4, but we're going to be looking primarily at 5. But this sets the tone. We, we read in Ezra 4, 4, Then the local residents tried to discourage and frighten the people of Judah to keep them from their work. They bribed agents to work against them and to frustrate their plans. What work was it, Pastor? Well, they were rebuilding the temple and rebuilding the walls. They'd been in exile in Babylon for 70 years, and they began to trickle in wave after wave. And as they returned, they began to recognize that God's Word would be center again in their lives. They looked back to Exodus and Leviticus and the plans that God had for a tabernacle and a temple. And they began to rebuild it. They swept things off down to the foundation, and they focused on those things. And yet, it seems that they began to lose sight of it. They began to build their own houses. They began to move their focus away from the temple. They laid the foundation, they got part of the wall built, and 16 years went by. Now, you would think that they would have been immediate in this. They've lived 70 years of torment away from the center place of God, and so they've gone back, and you would think they would finish the work, but they found themselves discouraged. In fact, the book of Haggai says this about them. Their uh, their focus shifted to building their own houses, and they neglected building God's house, and when the subject came up, in essence, they said, we tried that. It didn't work. They met opposition. So how could this dismal situation be reversed? How could they move out of this place where God is no longer at the center? How could the Lord's people put discouragement behind them so they could finish the task of rebuilding the temple and allowing God to be the center place of their lives yet again? Well, I want us to look together at Ezra chapter 5. We'll begin with the very first verse. We'll pray together, and then I want to give you some clues from this text that show us how to overcome discouragement. 
Ezra chapter 5, beginning here in verse 1. At that time, prophets Haggai and Zechariah, son of Iddo, prophesied to the Jews in Judah in Jerusalem. They prophesied in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, responded by starting again to rebuild the temple of God in Jerusalem and the prophets of God with them and helped them. Let's pray together. Father, help us to see in this simple turn, in this simple focus and refocus of perspective that we too can overcome discouragement, that we can move out of seasons of disillusion and disappointment. Father, that you would move today in our hearing and bless us as we study your word. In Jesus' name, and all God's people together said, may God add blessing to the reading of his word. Very simply, it says that God raised up two prophets. These men began to speak to the people on behalf of God. As you well know, a priest is one who would represent the people before God. A priest would go to God on behalf of the people. A prophet would represent God on behalf of the people. He would come and speak to the people on God's behalf. He would come with a message, thus says the Lord. And here, two men are raised up for that duty they've seen the neglect they've seen the people drift away and become discouraged because of those locals it says that the local residents the people lived around them some translations there say the people of the land people had plundered the city for 70 years the walls had been torn down all of the artifacts of the temple stripped away and taken to Babylon and people would come in and take whatever they wanted You see, those that were left were elderly. Those that were left were infirmed or weak. The best and the brightest were plucked out of Jerusalem and taken 700 miles away. And they've experienced this. It's been part of their collective experience that they're struggling through. And they knew that it was because they turned their backs on the Lord. And so now they've got a chance to come back. And you would think they would come back full vengeance. But they don't. They started out strong but then wavered. They started out strong but said, you know what, I've got a house to worry about. I've got a family to take care of. And they left the building of the temple alone for a while. And God raised up prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, and they spoke to the people in the name of God, it says, who they were under. And when they did, they began, in spite of other opposition, the work was finished, and it was finished very quickly. In fact, in four years' time, they completed the temple. So here's what I want us to see out of this chapter together. I want you to see four very simple things that will help you out of a place of discouragement. Number one, to overcome discouragement, we need a fresh encounter with God's Word. We need a fresh encounter with God's Word. Pastor David uh, Derek Kidner said this, like every spiritual advance from Abraham's to the missionary expansion in Acts, This venture began with a word from the Lord, and in common with the rest, it was quickly tested and threatened. Can I just tell you that I've had more joy as a pastor listening to people tell me over the past uh, nine months that they have been blessed by reading the Old Testament? 
I don't know about you. How many of you are still reading along with us chronologically? Just at least trying. Good. So many of you are reading through. And I want you to see that as you get the Word of God into your life, as you get into the Word of God, it gets into you. And as you have that encounter, it gives you direction. It tells you where you're going wrong and where you can go right. It tells you the dangers that lie ahead. It corrects, it instructs, it rebukes, it gives to us guidance. I've said this before, this is not just a good book. We call it the good book. I don't like that. I've got about 4,000 books in my library, and I've got lots of good books. But this is more like a guidebook. I would tell you to think of this much more like the app that's on your phone that gives you GPS coordinates than I would any other good book. You need to look at this as a roadmap for life. And they heard from the Lord. In that one verse it said, God raised up two prophets and these prophets spoke on behalf of God. We need to hear from God. Now, I shared this in my Sunday school class this morning. You've heard this many, many times before. Sometimes we use this not like just a good book or a suggestion book, but almost like a horoscope. We just say, well, I'm just going to flip it open and find what I need to do. That's a dangerous plan. Wouldn't you agree? Would you find yourself trying to just say, okay, God, if you'll tell me I, I need to either stay or go, so I'm going to see which word I see first, stay or go, and I'm going to look. Well, it's stay. Well, I don't think I really want to stay. Let me see if I can find the word go. And you look until it says what you want it to say. You know, the old preacher story, very simply, the man said, I'm going to do whatever the Bible tells me. I'm going to lay this thing open, and when I do, I'm going to follow after it. And he opens it up immediately and says, Judas went out and hanged himself. Well, let's try again. I'm not going to go there, so let me try it again. He opens it up again and says, what you must do, do quickly. Nope, I'm not going to do that. I, I missed it. The sinner the was, he said, go and do likewise. If, if we're not careful... We find ourselves listening to uh, things that we want and not listening to the voice of God. And here in this book of Ezra, we see that God raised up men who would speak. Now, the prophetic ministry is not needed in the way that it was then. It's waned. We still can hear voices of God. But for you and for me to, to hear from God, we have the completed word. The Bible is for us God's revelation of himself. God is showing us who he is and what he's like, and we need a fresh encounter with his word. We need a fresh encounter with it, a fresh experience, and that's what they got. And when they got that, the Old Testament prophets didn't so much expound on what was already written. They re received from God these revelations, and for you and for me, we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. So we begin to read what they wrote to the people of that day, and it sparked in the people a hunger and a desire to put God back at the center. Now, I want us to think about this. There's a number of ways you can have a fresh encounter with God's Word. But in every case, you have to have exposure to His Word. So let me just do a little teaching here. You, it won't happen if you never open your Bible. It won't happen if you never sit under biblical preaching or teaching. It won't happen. And you might find yourself discouraged so much so that you say, I don't feel like getting in the Word. But what you need to do is expose yourself to it. You can listen to audio versions of it today. The Word of God is available to us. And for you and for me, we need to get along with God. And it speaks to us about getting into the Word. What does the Word of God do for us? Four things I want you to see. Number one, it confronts our sin. The Word of God confronts our sin. That's the main thrust of Haggai's message. As you look at his message, he directly confronted the people with their sin of building their own houses and neglecting God's house. 
And he used them to, God used him to stir up these others that would come and help. And they came alongside and they began to build the temple. Some of you may be thinking, well, pastor, if I'm discouraged, the last thing I want is for my sin to be confronted. Well, I would say this, that, that doesn't seem very encouraging on the outset, but to neglect the Bible because it confronts your sin is like avoiding the doctor when you know you have cancer. You say, you know what, I, I've got, I, I'm having some chest pains, but I don't think I want to go to the emergency room because he might tell me I'm having a heart attack. Would you rather not know it? <laughs> Or would you rather know something's wrong? You've got symptoms. There is a problem. You know that there's a problem. The discouragement is the problem. The Bible will confront sin that will come to the surface of your life and help you understand that may be the very way out of your discouragement is to move away from your sin. So when God confronts our sin through his word, it's a blessing, not a bummer. It may not be pleasant to go through treatment, but without it, we could die. Scripture is profitable for us for rebellion rebuke and for correction there are times that the word of God has spoken directly to my heart and when it did I knew that I was wrong on a matter and when I acted on it I found myself set free from the bondage of that sin why in the world would I want to go through that well because God's word confronts your sin and leads you out of a place of discouragement number two God's word confirms his grace if we'll repent it confirms his grace if we'll repent Haggai confronted the people's sins, but Zechariah gave them hope that God would remember them and he would keep his promises. Now, I want you to see this. This is a beautiful picture. We read in chapter 5, verse 1, that one of the prophets was Zechariah. Zechariah was the son of Iddo, and we begin to see on from there his grandfather as well, Berechiah. Listen to the names of these three men. I thought this was powerful. Zechariah means whom the Lord remembers. And then we see his father, Berechiah. His name means the Lord blesses. And then we see Iddo, who is mentioned here in Ezra, and his name means at the appointed time. If you put together these three men and their lives, what you see is the message of Zechariah. Read it with me. Whom the Lord remembers, he blesses at the appointed time. God remembers his people. Some of you are discouraged today and you feel like God doesn't know where you are. He's lost your address. He's forgotten your email. He doesn't know how to reach you, but God knows right where you are. And maybe God's allowed you to move into this place so that in desperation you would cry out to him. One of my favorite hymns is the song, Love Lifted Me. We used to sing it all the time. It's in the hymnal in front of you. And in that hymnal, we sing it with a happy kind of glee. It says, I was sinking deep in sin. And it almost sounds like we want to say, wee. <laughs> but what he goes on to say is, I was sinking in sin. And I was in trouble. Until the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. And from the waters lifted me. Now saved am I. You see, some of you have not gotten to a place of desperation to cry out to the Lord. And they began to recognize that the opposition that was coming and the discouragement was coming was because of their own sinfulness. And some of you need to move into that realm and recognize maybe, just maybe, the problem that you have is caused by the person that you see in the mirror. 
Maybe, just maybe, you need to see that God's word will confront your sin. It will confront my sin. And it will move me to the place of reminding me of his grace. And if I'll turn away from my sin, he'll remember me. And at the appointed time, he'll bless me. You see, Brother West did a great job leading us to the throne as we considered there's coming a day that Jesus Christ, who is the only one worthy to take the title deed of all creation from the hand of the Father and open it up and establish his kingdom forever, that day is coming. So we know that God will remember those who have trusted and there is coming a day of no more sickness or sadness or dying. We talk of that day often, but I want you to recognize that God has an appointed time for us today because there was work for them to do and there's work for us to do. God gives to us this unique sense of his grace being confirmed when we trust him. I want you to see a couple things here. If we were to look in Zechariah, you don't have to turn there, but maybe just jot down Zechariah 1 because he is one of these two people that is speaking. In Zechariah 1, he talks about the wrath of God in verse 2, but immediately he says in verse 3, Listen, return to me, declares the Lord of hosts, that I may return to you. If we repent, God will be gracious to us. And that is illustrated in this text. Immediately as they spoke the word of God, the people responded and began to build the temple. This is a picture of a new beginning. They at first had a revival in chapter 3. They began to rebuild the temple. They worked hard, and as they did, God blessed them. They got lax, and they forgot, and they moved away 16 years of doing nothing for God. And the prophets came and called them back to it. And the beauty is we have a picture of a second new beginning. Can I just ask for your uh, amen on this? Just trust me. Can we today thank God that he's a God of new beginnings? Are you thankful that God is a God of new, new beginnings? Are you thankful that God is the, the God of new, 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 renewed, new beginnings? Because God gives us grace after grace after grace. Now, are we to go on sinning so that his grace may cover those things? The Bible says, God forbid. We live in such a love relationship with him, but we celebrate the newness of his grace. Number three, I want you to see that God's word reorients our priorities under his lordship. They reorient our priorities. The Bible says here in 5.1, these two prophets spoke in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. It refers to the people, God's chosen nation. They had gotten their priorities out of whack, but it reoriented their place in his service. God is to be over your life, and God's desire and his design for you and me is that we would submit ourselves to him. Finally, I want you to see this, that God's word shows us how to live in a manner that's worthy of of pleasing him. Without the word from these two prophets, should be. Pastor, I know I don't give like I should. I know that I don't attend all the time, but, but I'm doing okay. I'm doing better than a lot. You know, there are a lot of folks that never come to church. Well, if you're going to see how to live a manner worthy, do you want to go to the bare minimum or do you want to give God your all? Is he worthy? Is he worthy of everything? And they came back to the land and said, well, at least we got back. 
at least God released us and we're here. We built the foundation. We built our houses. We're doing fine. Now, it's easy to think you're doing okay in the Lord if you compare yourself with other Christians. We always seem to compare ourselves to people who aren't quite as committed as we are. And the reality is we should move past that and begin to see He's calling us to love Him with all of our hearts, our souls, our minds, and our strength. And the Word shows us how we need to adjust our thinking. Secondly, I want you to see this. To overcome discouragement, we need to have an encounter with God's Word, yes, but we also need to get back to work for the Lord. We need to get back to the work for the Lord. Discouragement had led them to abandon the work of God on the temple, and the prophets called them back. Can I just tell you there's something encouraging about serving the Lord, especially when you've been on the sideline for a while? You know, even the word discourage, it means without or the removal of courage. It means I no longer have bravery. I no longer have motivation. I no longer have passion or desire. I had a lady that came to me some time ago. Uh, it's been some years ago. I'll say it wasn't in this church. And she came to me and she was depressed. And she was struggling with discouragement. And in the course of counseling, I asked her, what is your ministry? And she looked at me like I had a third eye right there. She was like, why are you asking me that? I'm, I need help with my discouragement and my depression. I said, well, tell me where you're serving. She said, well, I'm not. And I said, well, that may be part of your problem. I'd be discouraged too. If all I did was sit around and think about how depressed I am, I'd get depressed. It would do you well to roll your sleeves up and go to work. And she was offended by that until she rolled her sleeves up and began to go to work. Can I tell you, if you're discouraged here this morning and you're sitting on the sideline, why don't you find Scott Alexander after this is over and say, Hey, Scott, I'd love to be a part of Live at 5 next Friday night. Can I serve? Come to Scott and say, Hey, Scott, I would love if I could become an apprentice teacher. Or maybe in my Sunday school class, I could come into that place of doing the announcements or doing prayer or leading a social gathering for my group. Or go to Joe Gunter and say, Joe, is there a missional project? that I can be involved in I would say why don't you drive down to 2nd Avenue and go to Christian services and do meals on wheels one day a week then you'll lose some of your discouragement when you start seeing other people in their plight and you begin to serve the Lord with gladness why don't you pick something up and mop something or dust something or clean something you can come on Fridays and fold bulletins if you want to you can run sound or audio or you can help wet back all of the water that's back there we have a new water feature right in the back it's going to be a beautiful thing that we're going to display for all to see. I'm just glad it's not in all of our electrical system. Think about that though. Serve somebody. Some of you ought to call me this week and say, Pastor, I'd love to go on hospital visits with you. I'll take you. Some of you say, hey Pastor, I'd love to go to the nursing homes with you. Come on. Our staff needs you. Serve somewhere. Get involved in Backpack Buddies. Come and help our office in some way. Come and help feed the Hattiesburg High football team in October or work in the concession stand. Help with the prayer ministry. Sign up to pray in our Pine Belt United. Why are you saying all these things, Pastor? Because if you are focused on your own problems, then your discouragement will compound. And sometimes one of the greatest things you can do is just get back to work. You see, the people had incredible discouragement. In fact, the rest of this chapter goes on to say that they wrote a letter back to the king to say, King, you need to stop what they're doing. And they said, we're not stopping because God's given us this vision. We're going to do this regardless of opposition. I love this picture. That moves us forward in this. The third thing I want you to see is this. To overcome discouragement, we need to persevere even in the midst of opposition. 
Can I tell you that the enemy will not be idle when we make a new beginning with the Lord? Some of you will walk away from this place today and you'll say, you know what, I found myself in a season of discouragement. Maybe somebody disappointed you. Maybe you're physically tired and it's led to a season where you're on the sideline and you're discouraged, you're without courage. Can I tell you that if you'll begin to serve the Lord, the enemy hates it, he hates you, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He'll do all that he can to derail your plans. And here we begin to see that Tatnai, the governor over Israel, and one of his sidekicks and some of their colleagues, verse 3 and following, came and they began to challenge the work. And they were doing their job for the king, but it seems to me that they were challenging the people, and Satan used that immediately. Now, I want you to see that the work did not stop. They continued to work. They let them know something powerful. Look at verse 11 with me, if you will. Verse 11 says something pretty unique. This was their answer. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. We are rebuilding the temple that was built here many years ago by the, a great king of Israel. But because our ancestors angered the God of heaven and abandoned them to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, who destroyed this temple and exiled the people to Babylonia, they knew the truth. They didn't make excuses. They didn't say, well, I, I would be doing more, but. No, they said, this is why we're in this predicament. They didn't blame God. They didn't shift the blame. They owned their responsibility because they had been connected to the word and they'd been confronted in their sin and now they're directed in the way they should go and they persevered. They continued. They moved forward. Fourthly, I want you to see this. To overcome discouragement, we need to trust the sovereign God to accomplish His purposes through us. We need to trust our sovereign God. You know, it's obvious that the Jews saw God's sovereign dealings with them in history. They just said it. They went back to the beginning with certainty and they traced the whole providential line distinctly and vividly keeping in memory and imagination the facts that had led them to where they were. Sometimes we get spiritual amnesia. We overestimate our faithfulness. God, I've been faithful and you let me down. God, I prayed for this to happen and it didn't happen. Well, how faithful were you? But it's not about your faithfulness, my faithfulness. It's about His faithfulness. And so over and over again, we see Nehemiah and Ezra and Zerubbabel and Haggai all claiming and standing on and banking on the faithfulness of God. God, you promised this would happen if we would return, so we want to return so that this will happen, not based on us, but based on you. And they persevered, trusting that God was sovereign. You know, the most dangerous person in the world is a person who's abandoned all their rights to the lordship of Jesus, and they say, it doesn't matter what you do to me. Paul was that way. Jesus was that way. Nothing to hide, nothing to prove, nothing to lose. Paul, if you don't shut up, we'll beat you. I'll wear those as marks like trophies of grace on my body. Paul, if you don't shut up, we'll imprison you. Well, I'll lead the guards to Jesus. Paul, if you don't shut up, we'll kill you. Well, that means I'll go be with Jesus. So you can do that today if you want. For me to live as Christ and die as gain. And they wrung their, their hands together and said, we don't know what to do with this crazy man. He has a death wish. He says, no, I died a long time ago. I'm crucified with Christ, and Jesus lives in me now. And some of you who are in difficult situations find yourself tempted to become discouraged. Don't become discouraged. Become dependent. 
trust the Lord in the midst of your difficult situation, recognizing that His Word will guide you, that His sovereignty will hold you, and that His plan will come to pass. Let me modernize a a familiar legend, and we'll close with this. It's been said that the devil had a garage sale. He marked all of his tools with the appropriate price. Hatred, envy, lust, deceit, lying, and pride. Laid apart from all of these was a rather harmless looking but well-worn tool marked with a much higher price than all of the others. A buyer pointed to it and asked, what is that tool? The devil replied, that's discouragement. Why is it priced so high? Because it is more useful to me than all of the others combined. I can pry a man or a woman's heart with it like I can with no other tool. When I can't get near to him with lust or deceit or lying, I can enter his mind and heart with discouragement. Once inside, I can make him do whatever I want him to do. It's badly worn because I use it on almost everyone. But few even know that it belongs to me. The devil's price was so high that the tool of discouragement was never sold. He still today uses it on God's people. And by God's grace through his word, we can overcome this tool of the enemy discouragement. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, these words, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. So to overcome discouragement, we need a fresh encounter with God's word. We need to get back to work for Him. And we need to persevere trusting in His sovereignty to accomplish His work for us and in us and through us. Now, let me me give the point of application. I'm going to invite everybody here in the month of October not to miss a single Wednesday. If you're at all possible able to, Wednesdays during the day and Wednesdays at night, we're going to do the exact same thing. So if you are in the habit of coming for our noontime meal, our our gathering that's in the day, that's fine. Or coming to our pastor's Bible study. We're going to do some some family We'll call them a town hall meeting, a family meeting. Anybody ever have family meetings when you were a kid? You pulled everybody in together and said, okay, this is the way it's going to be. Well, we've got work to do. You see, the spiritual work there was that the walls were torn down and the temple was in disrepair. Well, the spiritual work here is that there are lost people all around us and there's work to be done. And so my encouragement is that you would join me in the month of October, every single gathering, and I'm going to be casting vision and sharing some thoughts about what we sense God wanting Hardy Street Baptist Church to do and to be in the days ahead. That means that some of you are going to need to take me up on this sermon and say, you know what, I've been on the sideline. I've walked in discouragement, but I need to step into a place of service. I need to trust the Lord and His Word in a fresh new encounter. I need to praise Him for being the God of new, 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 renewed beginnings. And I need to trust that even in the middle of where I am right now, that He is sovereignly in control. You see, that changes everything. When I recognize that He's in control, it doesn't matter what comes. Because I know that at the appointed time, He will remember me and He will bless. Let's pray. Father, thank You for today. Thank you for the ways that you have moved in our hearts, even in the midst of distraction, discouragement. God, I pray that your people would take your word to heart and they would put you at the center. Individually, as families, 
And as a church body, God, would we put you at the heart and soul, at the very center of all that we do. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand to our feet. Here's the invitation today as you stand. I have not given, you can stand, I have not given a specific pointed gospel presentation. But there are those of you that know that you're walking far from God. Maybe today you need to trust Him for the very first time. But maybe some of you, and this is where this message was pointed, you need to trust Him fresh today. You've let your eyes get off of Him and get on the circumstances. Maybe it's because of your prosperity. I'm doing okay, and I've just kind of forgotten the Lord. Or maybe it's a desperate situation, and you've gotten your eyes off of Him because you feel disillusioned, and you feel like He's let you down. Why don't you today come and pray with one of our staff members? They just want to bless you by praying with you and encouraging you. Maybe you need to come to the altar. Let God have his way. We're not going to sing long, but as we sing, we just want you simply to respond.